Well, it is good to be back here. It's been a few years since I've been here. Um, we've got a lot to talk about here today. You know, I am always thrilled to be able to share at a Calvary Chapel because, uh, as I was telling my wife, we don't, we don't really have one in our area. And I love how you go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because to me, this is the most important book in the world. It is the Word of God. And one of the things that we're seeing is that there are people not taking this Word of God very seriously anymore. As a matter of fact, many people, when they open up the Bible, they are seeing uh, things differently than what I see. They, they open up the book, whoop, that's, uh, that's Revelation. We're going to be in Genesis. You see, that's what they think, right? They think that the book of Revelation is a book about fire and brimstone, but the book of Genesis, well, that's about creation. Well, I've got news for you. The book of Genesis is a book about Jesus. Okay, It's leading to salvation. The book of Revelation, it's a book about Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whether you're in the middle, the beginning, or the end of this book, it is about Jesus. But you see, people are missing that because they've got their own agendas that they've applied to this book. They're adding to this book things that don't belong there. And we have been brainwashed in our society. Brainwashed to where we don't know what truth is anymore because we hear things so often, we accept them as truth. Today, the Packers are playing, I hear. Lucky me. Yeah. You see, we have bought this lie that sports are important because sports help build what? Character, right? How many times have you heard that lie? Yeah, now half of you are saying, hey, wait a minute. Uh, One thing you're going to find out about me is I'm not afraid to step on toes, okay? Uh, This is an absolute lie, and I'm going to show you that you are brainwashed. I can fix this problem in five seconds, all right? Here we go. If sports builds character, the NFL and the NBA ought to be teeming with character. Doesn't that stand to reason? You see, sports does not build character. Now, I'm not against sports. I'm not against playing or watching them. I'm not enjoy having, you know, against having fun, enjoying them. What I'm against is the lie that sports builds character. You know what my Bible says? It's God's word that builds character. <clears throat> Yet, Somehow we've bought this lie because you've heard it so many times you've believed it to be true. Likewise, we have heard so many times, even in the churches, that you know the Bible's not accurate in Genesis. Science has proven the Bible wrong. And we've heard it so many times that people have begun to believe it, even in the churches. And that just blows my mind. So today I want to talk about biblical authority. We're not going to get to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse today. We're going to do something a little bit different, a little bit out of the ordinary. But I want you to see this because I do believe it's so important. Our text here today from Proverbs 30 is clear that every word of God is flawless. Not just most of this book, every word. It is inspired, it is inerrant, it is an authority. It says, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, you see, I used to think this verse meant, don't add second opinion chapter 3 into your Bible. We don't want Revelation chapter 24 or 23 in there. But I've come to realize that there is so much more to this verse, so much more uh, of a subtle danger 
than that. Because you see, it's obvious to add another chapter or another verse to a book of the Bible. But I think we add in other ways. You know, I can go around the country and talk about God in the beginning, God created. And for the most part, in the churches, I can say that and it's not a problem. Until I talk about when that creation was. When the Bible says that creation was. Now all of a sudden I've got issues. We go to museums today and we see, look, you know, Earth's true age, clues from outer space. Isn't that something? We don't have clues from the Bible, clues from the Word of God. If you want to know the age of the Earth, we go to outer space. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry, I've got a little cold here that I'm going to have to cough my way through a little bit. But you see, the problem is this. We're dealing with something about the past which is unobservable. Okay, Creation is a faith. Evolution is a faith. They're both faith issues. The only difference is I have a record of creation. Someone who was there, who saw it, who now told me what happened. So I, it, it's, it's a step above faith because I have a historical record telling me what happened even though I didn't observe it myself. But you see, we have to make assumptions. And from assumptions, we get interpretations. From interpretations, we get conclusions. I don't care what side of the fence you're on, creation or evolution, this is what we do. I assume this book is true. Okay? I assume it's true. Now, I don't think that God has left me with blind faith. I think there's a lot of evidence that we could show you that this book is true. But, but it comes down to this. You have to have faith. You know, Hebrews 11 does not say that it is by science that we believe God formed this world by his word. It says it is by faith we believe God formed this world through his word. Everyone has faith. It is just a matter of which faith is the best faith to have faith in. So I don't care if you're an atheist, you have faith. If you're an evolutionist, an agnostic, it doesn't matter. You have faith. Everybody operates on faith. So here's the problem. If your assumptions are wrong, if your faith is wrong, you've put the faith, your faith in the wrong thing, you know what that means? That means that your interpretations are going to be wrong. That means you're going to come to some wrong conclusions. That means we better make sure that our starting point, our starting assumption, our starting faith is in the right thing. People always are out there saying, yeah, you you can't tell me the earth is young because what about all the dating methods? Yeah, what about all the dating methods? Do you know that over 90% of the dating methods that are out there actually show the earth cannot be the 4.6 billion years that the scientists out there are trying to tell you it is? 90% of the dating methods. Now, the other 10% that would allow an old earth have assumptions that you have to apply and believe in before those will support your assumption as well. For example, uh, you know, rocks, when you date rocks, you have to take great care to make sure that that rock has never been near water because it'll leach in or leach out the elements you need to measure. So you have to assume, you have to have faith that the rock you're dating has never been near water. Now, I believe in the Word of God, which talks about Noah's flood. Noah's flood kind of covered up the world, didn't it? So I would say it's going to be tough to find a rock that hasn't been contaminated by water. Now that's just one issue with the dating methods. There are many, many more. But it's an example to show you that you have to have faith in something before those dating methods even work. 
You have to have faith that God's word is not true. You have to have faith that Noah's flood never happened in order to have faith in those dating methods. Now, like I said, so many of the dating methods show the earth is young. But my point isn't that. My point is this. In in some of these slides, uh, I've taken from uh, Answers in Genesis here because I think they, they really illustrate a strong point. If you take the word of God, you take the Bible, and you add nothing to it, no science, no biases at all, I'll tell you what, you just read this. You give it to somebody reading it for the first time. Are they going to get millions of years out of it? Not a chance. A, a third grader reading this book is going to realize that the earth is young, that death came into this world because of Adam and Eve's sin, brought death, disease, and suffering. But if I take this same word of God and now I take it to a third grader who has been taught you know, all of these things in their scholastic magazines and Jurassic Park movies and whatever else that they've been in contact with. And they add their experiences and their biases that the world, the culture has placed on them. Now they read the Bible and what do they get? Millions of years, day age theory, gap theory, theistic evolution, progressive creation, all these kinds of ideas. But you don't get it just from the Bible itself, do you? What's happened is we're living in a culture, in a society that has allowed outside sources to be added to the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so when you go through your Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, that's not enough. You have to ask yourself, how am I going to understand this chapter and this verse? Am I going to allow my culture, my experiences, and what I was told at school to interpret this chapter? Or do I let another chapter and another verse interpret this? Do we let scripture interpret scripture? Or do we let science interpret scripture? I'm going to propose to you that we have added to the word of God our interpretations of science. Not science. I'm not against science. I love science, and I think science agrees with the Bible. I think the Bible agrees with science. But the Bible disagrees with interpretations of science like evolution. Well, it's only in one place that we can get millions of years in the Bible. Okay, It's really in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And... At the very end there, in, in between chapter 1, verse 2, in that little white space, that empty gap where there's no ink, that's where you can get millions of years in the Bible. It's not there. It's not in ink. It was never penned. It is simply not there. People often ask me, well, what do you believe? Do you believe in the gap theory? Do you believe in millions of years? Do you believe in progressive creation? You a fan of Hugh Ross? And I say, I believe what the Bible says. Well, do you teach your kids about evolution? Yes, I do. I teach my kids evolution. I teach that it's wrong. But I teach them evolution. Because you see, I want my kids to know more about evolution than an evolutionist knows about evolution. But I want them to know why it's wrong. And I teach them the word of God. You see, in our culture, our kids aren't allowed, especially when they go to the public schools, to learn anything but one side of the issue. 
You know, you learn one side of an issue, you've been indoctrinated. You get both sides, now you've been educated. Let me ask you this. How do we get a day? Well, it's simple. We know what a day is because that's how long it takes the earth to rotate on its axis, right? How about a month? Well, we know what a month is because that's how long it takes for the moon to go around the earth, right? How about a year? Well, we know what a year is because that's how long it takes for the sun to the earth to go around the sun there, right? A week. Where do we get a week from? Well, that's simple because that's how long it takes for... Um, that's how long it takes for... Uh, huh. That's how long it took God to create the world. There is only one reason we have a week in our vocabulary and in our existence. It is because as Exodus 20 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The only reason we have a week is because the Bible is an authority. Isn't that something? There is no other reason for it. There are all kinds of other words that could have been used to give us a day. Okay? A long period of time in a day. But God didn't use that. He used the word yom, which in Hebrew is the word day. It's 845 times found in the plural yamin, 2,291 times in Scripture outside of Genesis 1 and 2. And do you know that in every case that that word is used outside of Genesis, nobody ever argues what that day means, what that word yom means? Nobody's arguing how long Jonah was in the belly of a great fish. Are you sure it was three days? Because, you know, day doesn't always mean day. Nobody's arguing how many days they marched around the walls of Jericho. The only time they argue what, when, you know, day could mean something else is in Genesis 1 and 2. Because they've allowed science to interpret their scriptures. It's the only time. Now, there are Hebrew grammatical rules and contexts that tell us even in Genesis 1 and 2, there's no need to argue it. It's a 24-hour day. There was evening and there was morning. The first day, second day, third day, anytime you have numbers attached, it's a 24-hour day. But so often we have people taking the Bible out of context. <coughs> and they'll say things like this. Well, over in Psalms, look, the word day here can mean a long period of time. So why can't it mean that here? Well, because it's a different context. Ken Ham is, you know, famous for saying things like, you know, back in my father's day, it took 10 days to travel across the Australian outback in the day. Now, I just gave you three definitions of the word day there. Do I need to give you a dictionary to figure out what I was telling? No, you know because of the context. Back in my father's day means a long time ago. It took 10 days, 10 24-hour periods, to cross the Australian outback during the day, during the period of light. The context tells you the definition. This isn't rocket science. The word is near you. It is in your heart. It is not too difficult to understand. But we have made it difficult because we have tried to add science into the Bible. Not just science, interpretations of science into the Bible. Let me ask you this. Can you be a Christian, really, and believe the earth is millions of years old? 
I might shock some of you here, but I believe you can. I believe I will be in heaven with people who believe the earth was millions of years old. Now, I believe they're wrong. Okay, you know, I always tell people, I'll tell you what, how about this? If we can just agree, I will agree. Okay, if you can admit you're wrong, I, 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 I could admit you're right. Okay, well, just meet in the middle, okay? So just go ahead and say it. I'm wrong. You're right. See? It, it works out well. But you see, I do believe that the Bible talks about this. I'm not saying I even have everything figured out. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians 3 that we're all building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. A solid foundation. Now, some of us are going to build on that foundation with wood, hay, and stubble. Others are going to build with things like gold and silver and precious stones. But it says the day, with a capital D, is going to bring those things to light as they pass through the fire. He says, if what you built survives, you will be rewarded. So in other words, if you build with gold, silver, and precious stones, those things are going to go through the fire. They don't get burned up. You'll be rewarded. But if you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with wood, hay, and stubble, when that goes through the fire, they get burned up. And 1 Corinthians 3 goes on to say, if what he built does not survive, he himself will be saved. But only as though escaping through the flames. I believe that there are many in the church who will be saved, but only as though escaping through the flames, because they have not taken this word seriously. They've read it chapter by chapter, they've even read it verse by verse, but they have read it with a bias that is ungodly, unspiritual, and worldly. That's the question I want to ask you today, is how do you read and interpret the word of God. You see, as I said, I believe people can believe in millions of years and be Christians, but I think that there's a bigger problem here. I think we can agree that the culture has changed in our society, that the world has changed. And I believe it is because of this very issue, the creation of evolution debate. And I don't have time to get into a whole lot of that here today, but let me ask you this. Do you guys believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Good. Do you believe that he walked on water? He took a man's ear that Peter had cut off, picked it up off of the ground, and healed it like that. Turned water into wine. Hmm. Yeah, you believe it because it's in the Bible. It's an authority, right? We'll come back to that. Let me show you, though, that even though you guys can believe this, do you know that most people in the churches, leaders in the churches today, have compromised? And they no longer believe these things. Especially when it comes to creation. Here's Dr. James Boyce. He's a pastor. He says this. We have to admit here that the exegetical basis of the creationist is strong. But he goes on and he says data from various disciplines point to a very old earth and an even older universe. In other words, he's saying what we get out of the Bible, an exegetical aspect, what we get out of the Bible is strong when it comes to creation. But 
We also have to admit there are all the kinds of scientific disciplines out there. Geology, astronomy, biology, chemistry that are saying the earth is old. And he's saying, therefore, even though the exegetical study is strong, science overrules. This is a pastor. Davis Young, professor at Calvin College, says science must be allowed to modify our exegesis of Scripture. Scripture doesn't interpret Scripture. Science does. How about this one here? Davis Young continues. He says, but it is to their credit that they viewed the growing body of extra-biblical evidence devastatingly opposed to the traditional ideas of the deluge, Noah's flood, not as a threat to faith, but as an occasion for reaching a better understanding of Genesis. In other words, what he's saying is, it's to their credit that they've denied Noah's flood was a global, worldwide, mountain-covering deluge. It's to their credit that they've denied that so that they can understand Genesis better. That makes no sense. That they've allowed science to reject a global flood, which, by the way, science supports it, but that's what he's saying. Salt Magazine, Christian Magazine, says, When was the universe made? Well, the study of paleontology has rendered it virtually impossible for a serious scientist to make a case for a six-day creation about 6,000 years ago. Really? We can go on and on. Expositor's Bible, if anyone is in search of an accurate information regarding the age of the earth, he's, you know, referred to recent textbooks in astronomy, geology, paleontology, no one for a moment dreams of referring a serious student of these subjects to the Bible as a source of information. And this is where we're at today. You see, if the Bible and science disagree, which one gets cut up, which one gets rearranged, which one gets reinterpreted? Not science. Oh, no. Scientists are infallible. God his fallible word, there's the problem. That's the attitude. Guys, that's wrong. It is God's word that is inspired, infallible, inerrant. And man's interpretations of science that are fallible, that are filled with error. You can't pick up a newspaper without seeing that they're changing their minds about something that they used to believe. I don't know if eggs are good for me or not. It depends on what day of the week it is. You see, there's an issue. When these two things disagree, we shouldn't be cutting up the Bible to get it to fit science. We should let science be rearranged to fit what the Bible says because the Bible is our starting point. That is the foundation upon which we build. But yet it amazes me. Just as Ken Ham talks about, I see the same thing. No matter where I go in this country, even to Christian churches, I can go and I can say, if I would come up here today and say, you know what, the earth is not 6,000 years old, it's millions of years old, science has shown us that, that you know, it's perfect, millions of years is perfectly in line with the word of God. Some of you would be upset. But maybe some of you here would be saying, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's good. Yeah, I'm glad he thinks that. You'd have no problem with it. 
Others of you, you probably just wouldn't invite me back or wouldn't buy any materials or whatever the case might be. But I'll tell you something. If I came here and I said, you know what? Jesus was not born of a Virgin Mary. That, there's no way. Jesus did not walk on water. He did not turn water into wine. And he certainly could not heal a man's ear like that. You would say, heretic. You'd probably stop me in the middle of this sermon and you'd kick me out of the doors, wouldn't you? I hope you would anyway. But why is it? You see, because I want you to understand something. Do you know that it is scientifically impossible to walk on water? Do you know it is scientifically impossible to be born of a virgin? It's scientifically impossible to heal man's ear like that or turn water into wine without some magic trick. Why is it that there are so many people, well, science has proven the Bible can't be, you know, the earth can't be just a few thousand years old. You'll accept that, but science has proven that you can't be born of a virgin. Yep, you're right. The Bible's wrong. Where's your consistency? If you're going to believe the infallibility and the inerrancy of word of God in the, Old Te- or in the New Testament, you better believe it in the New because I got news for you guys. Whether you're in the New or the Old, it's the same God. You see, Jesus isn't just a New Testament thing. By him, all things were made. Nothing was made without him. Through him, all things are made. Through Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, somehow, we have allowed us to get brainwashed because you've heard it so many times that the earth is so old. And you've begun to believe it's true. When in fact, it's not. Because you've allowed science, interpretations of science, to interpret scripture. But only in the Old Testament, not in the New. That's inconsistent. You know, I hope that you guys are going to learn that you need to be able to recognize the voice of God. Jesus said this, my sheep know my voice. And they follow me. If I came in here and I sounded like this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. You would say, There is something wrong with that man. There's something wrong. You would know there's something wrong because you know my voice. I've been talking here for a while. And don't worry, it'll come back in a couple of weeks. Actually, a couple of breaths. I just got to get it out. It's a heavy gas called sulfur hexafluoride. Now, you know my voice. And if I came in here and started doing it, you go, whoa, something is wrong. Yet when people come in and say, hey, the earth is millions of years old, you go, oh, okay, and you just believe it, and you take it hook, line, and sinker because we don't know God's voice, the word of God. I'll tell you something, we need to know the word so that we don't get deceived. And we know it by reading it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And then we let those chapters and those verses explain other chapters and verses 
in context. You know, so many people don't understand the book of Revelation. Why? Because they just try to interpret it based on today's events or, you know, what they've heard or whatnot. They don't let the Bible interpret Revelation. 90% of Revelation is already written in, in another book of the Bible, isn't it? Yeah, you need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. You see, there's hermeneutics, which is the way that we interpret Scripture. And the same hermeneutics is used in Genesis that it is used in the New Testament. At least it should be. But somehow we have allowed a different way of interpretation of Scripture in the old than we've allowed in the new. We need to be consistent. And I got news for you, as I said, and I'm not going to get into the science here this morning, but bottom line is science does not uh, uh, go against the word of God. The Bible is completely consistent with science. I've yet to find any inconsistencies. And the Bible is completely consistent within itself as well. I've yet to find any inconsistencies. Now, by the way, one of my DVDs is called Bible Contradictions. Really? Really? There are what appear to be contradictions in the Bible, no question. And if your children and your grandchildren aren't aware of that, and we say, oh, the Bible's inerrant, there's no problems, and then you go and their professor says, oh, really? Well, look at what it says here in Chronicles. Look what it says here in 2 Samuel. It's a clear contradiction. Your kids are going to go, well, they never showed me that in church. They need to know That yes, there are things that appear to be a contradiction, but there's an answer. You might need to go to another chapter or another verse, but there is an answer within the scripture to where there are no contradictions. You can see in the Gospels, one, we see that Jesus healed a blind man named Bartimaeus as he was leaving Jericho. Another Gospel says he's entering Jericho when he heals blind Bartimaeus. Contradiction. Is it really? No, it's not a contradiction. There are answers. But we use the same hermeneutical principle. And we must be consistent. And as long as you take the word of God literally and seriously, you will find it is consistent and there are not contradictions. However, as soon as you allow millions of years and Science to interpret scripture. Now you have contradictions. Now you have inconsistencies. You might solve a problem you think in Genesis. You know by saying well let's fit millions of years here. But now in 1 Corinthians 15 you have made a contradiction. I'll come to that here in a moment. I'm not going to talk about the difference between exegesis and eisegesis here today. But you know I love what Martin Luther says. How long did the work of creation take? When Moses writes that God created heaven and earth and whatever is in them in six days, and let this period continue to have been six days, do not venture to devise any comment according to which six days were one day. But if you can't understand how this could have been done in six days, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. Isn't that great? Guys, I can't tell you how God did everything he did and why God did everything he did. But I can tell you this. I'm glad that I can't. Because if I could, that would mean I'm God. 
I can figure out how God did everything he did and why he did. I'm God, and that makes God really dumb. If, God, if I can figure him out, that's a very small God because I'm not very smart. You see, we serve a God that is so amazing, so grand, so wonderful, so omniscient and omnipotent that you will never be able to figure him out scientifically or otherwise and praise him for that. Praise him for that. Luther went on to say, you are to deal with scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written. But since God is speaking, it's not fitting for you wantingly to turn his word in the direction that you wish it to go. And that's what's happened in our society. We are turning the scriptures in the direction we wish it to go. Oh, I've got a homosexual brother, so we want to make it okay to practice homosexuality. Guys, the Bible is very clear about this. Well, everybody's going to make fun of me if I believe in millions or in a young earth. Guys, the Bible is very clear about this. Well, there are all different kinds of ways to get to heaven because this guy's just a nice person. Surely God wouldn't send him to hell. Guys, the Bible is very clear about this. There is only one name by which a man may be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. And anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. But anyone who calls on the name of Allah or Buddha or anyone else will not be saved. Period. No matter what you wish, no matter what you desire, The Bible says that we are not to practice idolatry. That means to form and fashion a God of your own liking. God is who he is. He is the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not the God of Brian Young that I invent. He is the God of Scripture who happens to be my God. But you see, <clears throat> there are a lot of angry people out there. When a loved one dies, they get all upset. How could God do this? I mean, if God was a loving God, he'd never allow that to happen. Really? I'm heard, sure you've heard Ray Comfort talk about those kind of things. And the very fact that, you know, God is a loving God means he's got to allow some of these things to happen. I mean, what kind of loving judge would send a, have a murderer come before him and say, ah, I forgive you, you're free to go? It would be a terrible judge. Likewise, God's going to send people to hell because he's a just, loving judge. But he's provided a way out through his son. But all this death, disease, and suffering, why do we have children's hospitals? Well... I suppose that's very hard to answer in this culture, in our society today, because you see, we have said there is no such thing as Adam and Eve, there is no such thing as a young earth, therefore, there is no such thing as an origin of death, disease, and suffering through sin. So yeah, it is kind of tough to answer that question in our culture and society today. Why does a loving God allow people to suffer? When there is no Adam and Eve that brought sin, that brought death, disease, and suffering, what can I say? Nothing. 
But if I allow the Bible to remain consistent, I see there is an answer. Suffering, death, disease has come about because of man's sin. And all have sinned. So death has passed upon all men. It's that simple. You see, this makes a huge difference in the lives of people. I don't know if you guys remember Jeffrey Dahmer. <clears throat> yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer, an awful serial killer. When they found him, they found people in his freezer. He made lampshades out of their skins. He was a monster. A monster that you will be with in heaven, I believe. How does that make you feel? You, your, your mansion could be next to Jeffrey Dahmer. Maybe for some of you, that's like, yeah. Send shivers up your spine. You know what it makes me feel? That is awesome. If he can get in, I should be able to get in. Now, let me tell you, that's heresy, by the way. That is the wrong way of thinking. Because that's a works-based righteousness, isn't it? And that's why some of you maybe had little shivers thinking, Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven? He was too bad. I got news for you guys. If you can't be too good, you can't be too bad. It's dependent upon Jesus and Jesus alone. By grace you have been saved. Not by works. Isn't that awesome? To me it's awesome that we could be in heaven with him. Now why do I say that? Well because of his confession. Yes he was an ungodly man. But do you know why he did what he did? Evolution. He admitted that. Here we see a, a Dateline NBC article or, or uh, interview. He said, if a person doesn't think there's a God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. I always believed the theory of evolution is truth, that we all just came from the slime. When we, when we died, you know, that was it. There was nothing. <coughs> he did a Newsweek article, magazine article, where... Uh, in an interview, he said that I did what I did because I believed I was not held accountable to anyone. But now I know that my creator lives. And he's not only my creator, but he's my savior, Jesus Christ. And that he has forgiven me of my sins. Guys, if he really meant that confession, I, we're going to be with him in heaven. But the point I want you to see as well is that he did what he did because of what evolution means. If there's no creator, there's no one to answer to. We make our own rules. You do what you want. You know, just don't, uh, don't put your opinion on mine. You know, don't, don't get upset about me. We all have to tolerate everybody's opinion unless, of, Christ, of course, it's a Christian opinion. We can't tolerate you. Talk about inconsistencies. Illogical. Tolerate. We've got to tolerate. Oh, but we can't tolerate you. Hey, let me ask you, was Jesus tolerant? Huh. Yeah, you see, that's another lie we buy into. Oh, yeah, no, 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 I, I tolerate. I tolerate. I'm a tolerant person. I'm not. I am not. I'm a homophobe. Yeah. What? Yeah, I'm a homophobe. That's a good thing, folks. Do you know it's good to be afraid of things that can hurt you? 
Oh, by the way, I love homosexuals. I love them. But I'm a homophobe. You see, I, 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 I'm kind of an arachnophobe too. I hate spiders. I hate snakes. Because they're dangerous. They can hurt me. And you know what? Homosexuality is not only harmful to our society, which I happen to live in, but it's harmful to that person. And therefore, it scares me. I'm scared for them as well. So is it bad to be a homophobe? No, it's not bad to be a homophobe. No, it's not bad to be intolerant. We have to be intolerant of sin. You see, but we hear these things so many times. We believed it's wrong to be intolerant. It's wrong to be a homophobe. That it's hate speech. That, that you're hate-filled if you speak against homosexuality. Really? I think it's loving to speak against homosexuality. I love them. Okay? Is it hateful to yell at my kid who's in the middle of the road playing when a car is about to run him over? No. I want to protect them. Do you guys remember a guy named Charles Templeton? He was Billy Graham's right-hand man. He went around preaching the gospel around this country with Billy Graham. Then he went to Princeton, learned evolution, and then he became one of the world's leading atheists. Wrote a book called Farewell to God. He says, I believe that there is no supreme being with human attributes, no God in the biblical sense, but that life is the result of timeless evolutionary forces having reached its present transient state over millions of years. Because this is what he believed. He abandoned the Bible completely and became an atheist. I hear things like this all the time. As I travel around and I get to go to school sometimes and I can speak for an hour and a half. That's it. And and kids will do a 180. Simply by showing them that they can trust the word of God. That this is God's word. Period. Here's one. Before I became a believer, I was an atheist and evolutionist, so I brought that baggage with me. But now, I no longer have God in a box. Thank you. These are just letters that I've received, little bits of them. Jenna Pickle from Iowa said, I was a huge skeptic about creation. My faith in the word of God was slipping. Then slowly, over the course of time, I slipped to the dark side. This was the mindset I was in until I heard you speak. Thank you. I always had a hard time believing the Bible, but ever since you came to our school, I know I can trust the Bible. You came to my school when I was in sixth grade, and I don't remember everything you said, but after that, I never doubted God's word again. I've always heard about dinosaurs and millions of years kind of stuff, but didn't know how that fit into the Bible. Now, I know Jesus is real. I mean, it's sad to me that we just have to show kids, listen, Science isn't against the Bible. And they're like, okay, Jesus is real. Why do we have to do that? We, we shouldn't have to. We sh- our, our kids have not been trained up to say, this is our foundation. And this interprets science. But now we have to say, science is okay. Science doesn't agree. Okay, now I can believe this. That's where we're at. Here's one. Shiloh Christian School in Bismarck, North Dakota. 
I've had many conversations with my classmates who don't believe the Bible, but I could never give them the answers to the things they would bring up. You help me to explain things and show them the Bible is accurate. Isn't that something? Yeah, we can see people like Matt Damon when Sarah Palin was running for vice president here a while back. This is, uh, she believed that the earth was young. She believed in the Bible. So Matt Damon said this. Crazy. She, I mean, did she really? I need to know if she really thinks dinosaurs were here 4,000 years ago. That's an important. I want to know that. I really do. Because she's going to have the nuclear codes. You know? I, I want to know if she thinks dinosaurs were here 4,000 years ago. Or if she banned. You see, the implication is this. She believes that the earth is young. Dinosaurs were here 4,000 years ago. And if she does, she's crazy. She might push the button. She's going to have the nuclear codes. You're nuts. And this is the kind of pressure our children and grandchildren are under here today. You believe in creation? Oh, you're crazy. You're never going to be a scientist. Guys, I've met scientists at some you know, Ivy League schools to, to rocket scientists. I've spoke to rocket scientists, literally in Colorado, who all believe in a young earth. We have Pat Robertson. Millions of people watch Pat Robertson. Look what he said. This old earth, new earth. The truth is, uh, you have to be deaf, dumb, and blind to think that this earth that we live in only has 6,000 years of existence. It just doesn't. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I've got some interest in oil, and you're, you're now drilling in the Jurassic uh, uh, zone uh, 65 million years ago when those dinosaurs were here. They were, they were uh, rotting in the earth and making oil. And uh, there's no question about it. There's no question that there were dinosaurs, and no question that radiocarbon dating, there were 65 million. There's no question that some of the other things were much older than that, and we have so many geological records. Now, the question is, if you look at a day, day one, day two, day three, what is a day? Well, a day is how long it takes the Earth to revolve on its axis. But what about a solar day? Well, that would be how long it would take the sun to uh, travel around uh, the galaxy we're in. Well, what about a uh, galactic day? That could be how long it takes a galaxy to transverse. See, again, I don't care what a galactic, I care what the Bible says a day is in Genesis. Notice he doesn't bring up the Bible once. He says, well, it's got to be millions of years old. I've got interest in oil, and I bet he does. I've got interest in oil, and they're finding these dinosaurs down in the Jurassic area. Yeah, but that's interpreting that area based on an evolutionary assumption. I think that was buried in Noah's flood. He doesn't bring up Scripture. But instead, he says, if you believe the earth is young, and you believe what this says, I'm sorry, you're deaf, dumb, and blind. No wonder so many people in the church. And I don't even have time to show you so many things. Uh, on the second service, you get a different sermon. And I'm going to show you some other things. Andy Stanley, as, as well, uh, Bill Nye, and many others. Okay, look at this here. Um, from Harvard University, Steven Weinberg. He says, I personally feel that teaching of modern science is corrosive of religious belief. I'm all for that. If scientists can destroy the influence of religion on young people, then I think it may be the most important contribution that we can make. They know this, guys. They know that the battle for your children's souls 
is to get them to deny God's word as truth. It is corrosive. Okay, evolution, not, not real science. I would disagree with him there. Modern science is good, but evolution is corrosive to religious education. How about this? Richard Rorty, Princeton, Stanford, he says, parents who send their children to college should recognize that as professors, we're going to go right on trying to discredit you in the eyes of your children trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. We arrange things so that students who enter as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave college with views more like our own. Students are fortunate to find themselves under the control of people like me and to have escaped the grip of their frightening, vicious, dangerous parents. That's where we're at. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza says, you know, it's amazing how our culture has gotten parents to spend money for the, their, the demise of their own children. We protect them as much as we can, and then we pay thousands of dollars to send them off to a public university to be brainwashed. Guys, if they don't have a foundation and know that evolution is wrong, why it's wrong, and that this is true and why it's true, you're going to lose them. There's a book out on the table called Already Gone by Ken Ham. If you haven't read that, you need to see that. Where they polled people and why they're leaving the churches. And the bottom line is because the Bible is no longer an authority. It really doesn't have the, the, the hold on people anymore because it's just a good book. That's about it. They don't accept it to be true. And then the book, a sequel to that, is Already Compromised where they polled 200 of the most Christian universities in our country to see what they were teaching. And do you know that about 6 out of 200 of Christian universities in our country are holding to the fact that this is a book that is God's word, inerrant and inspired? Yeah, about 6 of the 200 that were polled. It's amazing. Well, I want to take the last about 7-8 minutes here to just share what we are trying to do uh, to combat this issue and ask that you guys would pray for us. About a year and a half ago, we purchased this semi-trailer. It's an old FEMA trailer from the government. And we have turned it into the Semisaurus Mobile Museum. What it is, it's a traveling museum that it looks like there's a good chance we will have up here in Wisconsin next year here in the spring. Um, and we have put over $100,000 on the inside of this thing. So it's a very professional museum. It's a self-guided audio tour that you go through, and uh, we share the gospel in there from the front to the end. You enter in on uh, the back side, and then you come walk all the way through. There are three different rooms in there, and uh, you get to see the... In the first room... Uh, we introduce sin, death, disease, and suffering after the fall. Uh, we had it, our debut of this was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Labor Day weekend, so we are just getting started. And so here it was set up at uh, Lifelight Music Festival. Here's the first room. When you come in that first door, you see on the back wall there's a tree the lady that made that tree for us, she hand-carved that. There's over 3,000 leaves on this tree. And every tree leaf 
she prayed for someone as she put that leaf on that tree. Really remarkable. It's one of my favorite pieces in the museum. But anyway, on the back wall, you see what the world was like before the flood, before even the fall. And then you see in that tree there's a snake, and we see that the fall comes, which brings death, disease, suffering, thorns, thistles, which then causes Noah's flood as you move further to the left. And then on the other side, you see that the flood causes the ice age. And we talk about God's grace in the ark and God saying, come into the ark, the door that Jesus is the door, all of those kind of things, as well as answering the questions about, you know, the scientific things. How did the animals fit on Noah's ark? Did dinosaurs go on the ark? How was that boat built? Is it possible for such a thing to be built of that size? How did the ice age uh, come about? How long ago was it? How did those woolly mammoths die? And so on. So this, this is just pictures in the front, in the first room there. As you go into the, if you just do a turnaround and you, you'd see this here, there's a touchscreen TV and we talk about how the Ice Age uh, had played a part probably in forming the Grand Canyon. And so we have that as well as then evidences that dinosaurs did live with people. Um, there's holograms, there's an animatronic dinosaur inside this cave. You come around the corner, it scares well, a few people here because it motion sensors, so it starts moving and roaring when you go by it. But uh, what we see in this room is just all kinds of evidences from around the world that dinosaurs did live with people. And uh, different time periods of history and so on. There's a 12 and a half foot alligator in this room as well. Um, that's mounted and now put in this swamp area. But the main gospel point is to show us this, that, listen, of course dinosaurs lived with people. They were created, you know, land animals and people on the same day. And we can't have dinosaurs dying if man wasn't there to bring death into the world. And that means if death was the result of man's sin it can be the result or it can be the cure for man's sin through Jesus' death on the cross. Why did Jesus have to come and die on the cross for you? Why didn't he just stay up in heaven and say, hey, I forgive you? Well, because he had to die. He had to take the curse of sin upon himself so that we could be saved. And so we talk about that in the second room. In the third and final room, there's an eight-foot video wall that shares the gospel. We've got uh, displays with other things in there as well. We talk about Lucy and a number of other things that are in there, but uh, just a final gospel call that says, now that you've gone through this museum, you see that the Bible and science aren't at odds. Okay? And that if you've told a lie, you're a liar. You know, we walk them through the Ray Comfort type of uh, gospel and give them a final call. Do you want... New life today. It's your call. And we leave them with that. Uh, There's a video screen you stand in front of. You become a dinosaur and you get the dinosaur to raise his hands up and touch different things and then different facts appear. So there's there's interactive things there as well. Um, But anyway, uh, that's what we are trying to do. And I'm just asking that you would pray for us. We have a few more needs. One thing is a semi-truck. We're still in need of that. Uh, there's just some financial things that we're still waiting for um, uh, to change out a, a heater into a gas heater for it because it is heated and air-conditioned. 
Um, and so if you would pray for us that we would be able to continue to get this. We've been having calls from all around to get it there, and we just can't get it where it needs to go at this point because God hasn't answered all the things we need, but it's been amazing what he has done so far. The other thing we want to do is let people know about other creation museums that are around the country. Uh, there's one in Broken Bow, Nebraska, that has been very helpful to us, so we've got some pamphlets for them. There's one in Glendive, Montana. Obviously, Answers in Genesis, their creation museum, as well as their, their ARC experience. There's one in Branson, Missouri. Uh, and so we're trying to let people know that there are others out there as well, so that as they travel, that they can go and support them and see some things as well. Finally, one of the things we have on the outside is an animatronic dinosaur here as well. Where really, it's a, my son's inside there. Eyes blink, it roars. So that's just a little draw card for kids to come over and talk about dinosaurs and whatnot to get them to the museum as well. So, like I said, if you would just kind of pray for us on that. I don't know if I even brought any donation cards or anything like that. I'm not asking you for a donation card. If you can at least just, uh, or a donation as much as just, if you'll pray, if you'll pick up, if those donation cards are there, or just a business card, and stick it on your refrigerator so that when you see that, you're reminded to pray for us so that we can get this accomplished and finished. I would greatly appreciate those prayers. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And uh, that's what I, I, I know, that there are many righteous people here. I've been here before. I know what's taught in this pulpit. I know how you go through the word of God. I know how you're standing on truth. You're standing on the foundation. And you're being a beacon out there for so many, standing against the heresies that are going on in the churches today. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Because take it from a man who goes around the country speaking at churches all over. There aren't very many good ones left. There are lots of good people within those churches, but not many good churches left. And so be thankful that you have an opportunity where the word is being preached and, and your, your pastor who is taking a stand on truth. Pray for him as well because ministry can be tough at times and we need those prayers. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that you've given us today, and thank you for your word. I pray that if I've offended anybody here today by speaking anything that was untrue, that, uh, that those words would fall to the ground and be trampled on. But I pray that if people have been offended by your word, that your spirit would take that and work with it, that uh, we would really ask ourselves, what is truth? Because the truth will set us free. And you, Lord Jesus, are truth. You are the word. And you are our Savior. Thank you for dying a meaningful, purposeful death on that cross so that we might live with you forever. Just as we have been uh, crucified with you on that cross, we too know that we will be raised with you through faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.